I remember it well. It wasn't any kind of big day on the calendar. It wasn't an anniversary or holiday or anything like that. It was just one of those times in your life where something fairly small happens, but for some reason it just kind of kind of sticks in your mind, puts a picture in your mind that you never really forget. And, and amazingly, it involves scrolling through Twitter. It was a Sunday afternoon, and I was just killing a few moments and scrolling through Twitter, which is probably not the smartest thing to do, but that's what I was doing. And someone that I followed on Twitter at the time had retweeted something, but left this comment with the retweet. Her comment was, You go, girl. And I thought, okay, what are we all excited about? What is it? Why is it this person I'm following telling somebody that I don't know that they follow? Just you, you go, girl. And so I read what she had retweeted. And interestingly, it was someone who lived very close to where I lived at the time. And that day had passed the trays for the Lord's Supper. And on Twitter wrote about how she had never felt closer to God. And how she had never experienced the Lord's Supper in that way before. And how it meant so much to her to be able to pass those trays and be in that kind of leadership role. And this person whom I followed retweeted that and said, You go, girl. By the way, the person whom I followed worshipped and worships, as far as I know now, at a congregation that on the outside has Church of Christ. The, the person that she retweeted who was talking about the Lord's Supper worshipped at a congregation that then and now has Church of Christ over the door on the sign, everything else. In fact, at the time where we lived, that, that particular church building was only about two miles from our house. I, I drove by it all the time pretty much every day at some point during the day. And then you come here, and men lead the prayers. A man leads the singing. A man preaches the sermon. Men direct our thoughts before we partake of the Lord's Supper. And way back in those halcyon days when we passed trays, remember those days? It was always a line of men usually standing like this. Because that's the official, you know, Third Timothy stance. You have to have your hands in front of you. And our elders are men. Our deacons are men. And it leads people to ask the question, what about the women? What about it? Are we misogynistic? Are we afraid? Are we bigoted? Are we so set in our ways that there's no changing our mind? Are we the products of an oppressive patriarchy? Or is there something else going on? When we decided before this year began for Back to the Basics to be our theme for 2021, this was one of the subjects that I wanted to make sure at some point during the year that we took the time to tackle. It is a highly controversial subject, and I know that. But just because it's controversial doesn't mean we can, we can avoid it. It is a biblical subject. And yes, even though every single word I say probably will be parsed to look for signs of oppression and bigotry, 
My only intention is to say what Scripture says. And to do that tonight, I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. If you studied this, this con, uh, concept excuse me, before, you know that there are other passages to which we could turn. There are several, in fact. But what I want to do with you tonight is walk through this one singular passage, not because I'm trying to proof text, not because I'm trying to pick one that's better than the other, or anything along those lines. But what I want to do is walk through this paragraph that begins in verse 8. We'll read it together in just a moment. From verse 8 through verse 15. And I want to study it fairly in depth to help us all have a foundation for then on our own going and studying those other passages in the New Testament that simply fill out the same teaching. Let's read it together. 1 Timothy 2, beginning of verse 8. And again, we'll read through verse 15. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold and pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Now again, you could look at other passages that teach much the same thing. I hope that you will. But I wanted to look at just one passage tonight to go somewhat in depth. And then following that, following a look at the passage, I want us to take just a couple of moments to think about some of the common pushbacks we get. And then in just a very brief moment at the end, I want us to have a thought about Hopefully you'll figure this out. The pendulum. And you know what I mean when I get there. First of all, let's think about the passage itself. There are other passages, but I want to walk through this paragraph very carefully. We could go a lot deeper than we will, but I want to take a few moments to break this passage down into no less than five parts to gain an understanding, not just of the specific command. That's going to be the middle of this. But to see what's going on around that command. First of all, Paul talks about the desire. Paul says his desire is for men to pray everywhere, lifting holy hands. And by saying that it is a desire, Paul is not making this any less uh, important of a command. Remember that Paul is an apostle. Remember that Paul is writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so we might say, well, he's using a lighter term than something like beseech or command. But he's really not. Because when an apostle shares inspired desires, that's what God expects to happen. But it's also important for us to notice that Paul says this is to be true in every place. This is not just true wherever Timothy happened to be preaching. I believe it to be Ephesus at the time. But wherever this was to be taught, wherever this was to be lived, this was something that was to be extended to every place, including us today. And somebody says, well, I get that. But he says, you know, men are to pray, but we sometimes use man and mankind or, or men and people. We use those terms interchangeably, and sometimes we do. But Paul didn't. And here's how I know that. Because Paul had at his disposal in the Greek language in which the New Testament was written, a word, well, we know it. Anthros. We probably would say anthros. It's the word from which we get a word like anthropology, the study of humankind, the study of mankind. 
And sometimes that word was used just to mean people, people in general. But that's not the word Paul chose in this text. Instead, when he talked about men, he used the Greek word aner or aner, which simply means male, man. And that's why all of our translations have that particular word. But I also want to point something else out. Paul does not say, this is to be a good old boys club. Because those men who are to lead are to be lifting holy hands. They need to also have the ability to have self-control. They're to do this without anger, without quarreling. In other words, this command is not just, well, he's one of the boys, so let him get up there and have a leadership role. No. He needs to be a man, yes. But a man who is striving to be holy and pure and who lives a life of self-control. We need to keep in mind our modern culture and we need our culture around us to hear this. The church is not a male-dominated club. The church is a Christ-led group. And when we see this idea of lifting holy hands, that needs to be pointed out. Yes, men are to be the one who, ones who lead, but they're to be holy men, men who are seeking to have that kind of life. That's the desire. Then Paul talks about the heart. Because if you go in this paragraph, you may think, well, he, he changes subjects completely. Because it seems as if he starts talking about clothing and stuff, modest apparel and all that. And that's a whole different sermon, isn't it? Well, it could be, unless we're studying this in context. Most scholars agree that Paul is speaking primarily of the dress, the outfit, the attire worn to a worship service. Of course, we can make principles across the board. Our goal in this lesson is not to preach that sermon, the one on modest apparel. But since it is in this context... We need to break down a couple of things that are found, some concepts, excuse me, that are found, some principles that are found here because it connects to where Paul is going with this command. The first principle is a principle of orderliness. Even the word modest in this text comes from a word that you know. It's the Greek word from which we get our word cosmos or cosmetology. It's a word that means orderly. There's no way to read this description of the apparel and not see and sense just an idea of orderliness to it, which is always something God has demanded when He is worshipped. Not just an apparel, but how we act. It's to be an orderly way. But the second principle that Paul lays down here is one, that, uh, is one of not having ostentatiousness. This passage on modesty speaks more to, if I may use the terminology, toning down ostentatious clothing than it does to talk about revealing and sexualized clothing. The Bible can make that, we can make that point as well. But why, why was it that those years ago, 10 or 11 years ago, when I was scrolling through Twitter, and, and there was that girl was so proud. Look, I'm in front of people. I get to serve in that way. If we ever have that attitude, male or female, we've missed the point of worship. It is not about me. And that's, that's true of someone who's standing up here a lot. But it's not about having some kind of show. It's not about being the center of attention. If we have that as our mindset, well, I, I wish they'd let, men, excuse me, let, let women lead singing or preach because I'd get to be in front. Well, you've missed the point of worship. It's not about ostentatiousness. The heart of this is one who professes godliness which comes across in context, even in what one wears. 
It's a heart that's not concerned with, with disruption on one side of things or with showiness on the other side of things. It's concerned only with pleasing God. And with all of that in mind, only then does Paul get to the actual command, or you might want to have commands, plural. The command which is found in verses 11 and 12 is really about as clear as can be. But in our modern culture, it just gets thrown out the window or, let's just say, creatively explained away. But there's really no way to read these verses, especially in this context, and miss what they're teaching. Because verse 11 serves as a bridge to that godly heart that was just praised in the previous verses that show a desire to learn, but to learn with submissiveness. And by the way, it needs to be said that there is a command here for women to learn. I want us to think about that. Not for long, but just for a second or two, in light of the news in which we find our world. There are religious groups around the world who basically say women just should do whatever a man tells them to do, and women are second rate, and they shouldn't learn much of anything whatsoever. Not Christianity. Not Christianity. Christianity actually commands women to learn. And, and there's to be no restraint on that. Let her learn. But her heart is still one that makes sure she puts God first. And so, so she will learn, but learn with that heart of submission and not hold authority over a man. She's not to teach or exercise uh, authority over a man. By the way, tie this back to verse 8 where prayer had been mentioned. Now, in verse 10 and 11, excuse me, 11 and 12, preaching or teaching is mentioned. But what's the connective tissue between those things? Their positions of public authority. When a man stands up here and leads prayer, such as Jeremy did just a few minutes ago, obviously we're praying to God, but there is an obvious principle of authority that that man is directing our thoughts before God's throne. When someone would deliver a message to teach, literally to give a didactic discourse, I looked at that and I was like, I'm going to use that just to make you sound smart. But, but whatever it is to, to teach or to preach, the authority is the Word of God. We know that. But there is an obvious authority in the one who's presenting that lesson, that teaching, or that sermon. And Paul says a woman is not to exercise that same type of authority. She may be just as talented. In fact, in many cases, she would be more so. She may be as or more well-connected. She may be as or more scholarly. And she may be as or more godly. And she may have some level of authority but she will not choose to exercise it. If you're using a King James Version, by the way, you have that famous phrase to not usurp authority. I'm not saying it's a bad translation, but it's a little bit of a stretch. Because the idea here is not that she's grasping authority away. It's not that. It's that simply she's not even making the choice to put herself in that place. Which again shows her godly heart. That's why the English Standard Version's mothers have exercise authority. Instead, she is to remain quiet. Now, that doesn't mean total silence, because if that were the case, she couldn't sing. And all Christians are commanded to sing. You can find passages in the New Testament also that give the prerogative for all Christians to, to amen during the service. Instead, though, she is to remain quiet so that she's not going over that authority that God has placed. But why? What are the reasons? It may seem to some that verses 13 and 14 are unkind, even cruel, but they give the God-given reasons behind the command. 
And they take a great deal of trust in God for women to follow this command and to have that submissive spirit. And it seems if we take these verses together, Paul really gives two reasons. First is simply what we might call the order of creation. We don't know why, and we dare not try to speculate why, but God created Adam, the male, first. That was his prerogative. He's God. And that ties to other principles from creation, such as the woman was created to be a helper or a helpmeet, a helper who was suitable for the man. But here Paul uses that creation order to begin his line of reasoning. And then secondly, he uses the reason of what we might call the, the order of sin. There's probably a better way of wording that. Eve is the one who Paul says was deceived and became a transgressor. Now, did Adam sin? Of course he did. But when we read Genesis chapter 3, the fact is that Eve was the one that the serpent actually appeared to, at least in the account, account that we have there, the one that he put the temptation before, and she's the one who gave into eating that fruit that was forbidden. She's the one who did that. Some writers suggest all kinds of things about that, but we don't know exactly why the tempter, the devil, went to her, but he did. And so this New Testament command has connections all the way back, obviously before the beginning of the church in Acts chapter 2, obviously before even the life and ministry of Jesus, even before the law of Moses. Paul takes this all the way back to the opening paragraphs, basically, of Scripture, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Paul is basically saying this is a timeless principle. But he doesn't just end it with a negative. I wanted to read the whole paragraph because he also says something about hope. Now I understand there are a lot of views about verse 15 that she'll be saved through childbearing. You can go to our church library or online and look up five or six commentaries and probably find about 18 different views. They are all over the map as to exactly what Paul has in mind. But Paul has spilled what we might think of as a good deal of ink, writing about some things that could be seen as restrictive, could be interpreted almost as hopeless to women or even cruel to women. But Paul says there is a salvation issue here. She saved through childbearing. Now, that does not mean that a woman has to have a child in order to be faithful to God or be saved. That's not it. I believe all he is simply saying, at least in principle, is that women, even though they might not have a, a public leadership position, and even though it might have been a woman, Eve, who was the first who sinned in this world, they still have hope and they still provide hope because they give life to the world. Obviously, without women, we wouldn't be here. Now, there's a lot of views about specifics about that verse. But in principle, that's almost for sure what Paul has in mind. It is not a hopeless passage. It is a hopeful passage. Well, yeah. Okay, that's what the, verse, that's what the paragraph says. But we get a lot of pushback. And there are some who even go to churches of Christ who push back against the teaching. I see it a lot of times in writings. I see it a whole lot on social media, which is why I'm not following as many people on social media. One of the reasons, that in politics. Um, we don't have time tonight to notice every argument. But I want to just take a moment to notice three. Three arguments are sometimes put out there almost in a cute, cutting way. The yeah, buts. What about this one? Yeah, but... What about women like Deborah who led men in the Bible? And sometimes it's not Deborah. Sometimes it's Miriam. Sometimes it's someone else from, from the Bible. And, and, but, but Deborah seems to be kind of the standard bearer because she's a judge. 
one of my favorite people in the Bible. And I believe, by the way, that every Christian young lady should spend a whole lot of time studying the life of Deborah. They, they're going to find out all kinds of things about leadership and devotion and faith. She is nothing short of remarkable, and that's probably not even a strong enough word. But just because she was a judge in Old Testament Israel means nothing as it pertains to New Testament worship. To, to follow the logic, well, there she is as a leader of, of God's people in the Old Testament. Therefore, we must allow the same thing as leaders of God's people in the New Testament. Do you really want to follow that logic even in the same book of the Bible? Because if you do, we better have a womanizer leading prayer because that's what Samson was. And I don't think any of us would go, well, yeah, that's who we need leading God's people. But in the very same book of the Bible, you have someone who obviously failed in a lot of very public ways just because it was done in the Old Testament. Does not mean we can extrapolate from that. Well, that's how God wants it done now, especially when He's made it crystal clear it's not the case. Okay, so not in the Old Testament. Yeah, but weren't there women prophets in the New Testament? Yes, short answer. There's no doubt about that. In fact, it was prophesied in the Old Testament that it would be that way. And Acts chapter 2 brings that out. Joel had prophesied that one of the ways the people would know that the kingdom was coming and the kingdom was there was that Acts chapter 2 verse 17, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And in Acts chapter 21 and verse 9, we're told an evangelist named Philip who had four unmarried daughters and specifically were told, who prophesied. So isn't that proof then that women should preach today? No, 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 no. Remember the context. Prophesying was a miraculous occurrence for a specific time. 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14 speak of miracles and many times in those three chapters specifically mention the miracle of prophecy or the gift of prophesying. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, verse 8, specifically says, as for prophecies, they will pass away. When? That very same chapter. When the perfect has come or is come. Which in the context means the completion of the New Testament. So when that perfect, that, that standard was done away with, or excuse me, was completed, then all of these gifts, not just prophesying, but all of them, healings and all these things listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Cease. There was no more need for those things because we have the completed Word of God. We can't just extrapolate something to make it say what we might want it to say without applying basic skills of Bible study. Yeah, but, Adam, this is 2021. Doesn't this harm evangelism in our modern culture? I don't mean to say this in a negative way, but this is what this is. This is a pragmatic argument, meaning the ends justify the means. By holding this outdated, patriarchal, oppressive, repressive, bigoted, misogynistic view, we are harming our ability to reach people. That's what's said. Folks, if that's the case, and that's all we are supposed to worry about, then we should change a whole lot of things. If the ends justify the means, and that's all we're supposed to worry about, then let's forget doctrine, and let's just have sermons every week to make everybody feel good all the time, because that's what's going to draw a whole lot of people. But that's not an option for us. 
we are not left with the option of changing Scripture just to draw numbers. We're, we're taught to teach what Jesus and the inspired writers commanded because that's what Jesus told them to write down. We'll be judged by what He said, John 12 and verse 48. And as I said, I want to close with something briefly that may seem like an odd word, but I want to talk about the pendulum. I want to spend just a couple of minutes here, but I, but I want to make sure that we teach this subject and all subjects with balance. Whatever the Bible says, hopefully that's what we're going to say. We're going to struggle at times, I understand that. But that's what we're going to try to do, is to make sure we teach what the Bible says. No matter how controversial it might be, no matter how much it might be hated by the world, no matter how much I may, may be getting lit up on social media right now, real life stream, who knows? Who knows how many people do not like this? But we cannot then take the same passage or similar passages and make the claim that women are second-class citizens or that they can't do anything in a congregation. Folks, most congregations, and it is absolutely 100% true here at Central, would not be what they are, what we are, without the faithful work of Christian women. It is true that, that other passages, such as the very next chapter in 1 Timothy, make it clear that, that women cannot serve as elders or deacons. We've shown from this passage they can't preach or lead in worship in a public way. Those things are true. But then there are some who want to basically take that concept and then use it as a blunt hammer to show women all they can't do and fail to see that there is beautiful liberty in Christ so that males and females can serve the Lord and build up the body of Christ in wonderful, spectacular ways. I mean, can you imagine our vacation Bible school if men did everything? I know two, two kids I live with who wouldn't want to go. Because it'd be boring and ugly. Can you imagine our education program without ladies preparing lessons, preparing visual aids, teaching those children, teaching other ladies? How many of our best, if I may use the terminology, behind-the-scenes works are done mostly, if not vastly, by women? From taking food to those recovering from surgeries, to organizing things around the building, to checking on those who are sick, our ladies encourage other ladies in, in Bible classes and ladies' days and devotionals. They visit. They show hospitality. They counsel. Some of our ladies in this, this room and this congregation, I can use the word, they are scholars in God's Word. And they teach. They teach non-Christians. They teach other ladies. They teach children. They help. They encourage. They nurture. They provide examples for our children. And on and on and on and on it goes. Yes, let's teach the truth on this subject, but let's not become so focused on what Scripture prohibits that we make it sound as if it prohibits everything. We are blessed by godly women. We are blessed at Central to have ladies who do so much for the Lord, who are strong in their faith, who help us think through and study biblical issues, who are an encouragement to so many, and who understand passages like this one and who are submissive to the will of God, and do all those things while making sure they don't try to just take things over and become authority figures. Why? Why? I don't know the young lady that sent the tweet ten years ago 
I only saw it because it was a, a retweeted by someone I followed at that time. But as I read that little post on social media, I had to wonder, what do you love more? God or power? Even if, even if a lady does not fully understand why God would order things, make things this way, a godly woman trusts the Almighty enough to simply follow His will and trust His way really is best. And for each of those ladies, of whom we have so many, we're grateful. And as one who does stand in a position of authority quite often, I pray that all of us who do, whether it's preaching, elders, deacons, those who lead in worship, I pray that we will never do anything to make you feel like second-class citizens, but that we will be grown in the faith because we are around you and because we're encouraged by you and because you are the backbone of a wonderful group of God's people. I spent a long time trying to think of how do you transition from that <laughs> to the Lord's invitation. And I still have no idea except to say it's all about being submissive to God. That's what it boils down to. He said that I must repent and be baptized to be saved. It takes being submissive enough to do that for me to be saved. And He said that I must, as we study this morning, repent or perish. And it takes me being submissive enough to actually do that. Tonight, if you need to come to Him, will you, stand, will you come as we stand and as we sing?